0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. Amen. I love, um, let's praise God for Daxa today. I think um, so many times we miss like the work that's done behind the scenes and um, I came in early today and heard them rehearsing and, and I was blessed just with the rehearsal. It's like I got a double portion today, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the song selection. Um, I always tell Pastor Vern when he goes old school, I like him throwing that. I surrender all, because I, I grew up singing that song, I sang it so much, but there's a whole lot of days, I don't know about y'all, where I didn't surrender all. Uh, there's a whole lot of days I didn't believe he was a healer, he was a deliverer. There's a lot of days there where I tried to be a glory thief, and um, I tried to steal from the Lord, right, we talk about the glorification of God, how we give God glory like the moon, doesn't give off light, it just gives off light, it reflects from the sun, but so many days, Unlike the moon, I thought I was giving off light. So, I don't know about y'all, so I, I was blessed by that today. So thank you. Thank you, Docs. So thank you for commitment. Uh, the musicians that come in, I don't think uh, we even respect that enough, how much work they put in, even through these last 18 months, right? When yeah. I was sitting comfortable at home watching YouTube, they were in there putting something in during the week. So thank you so much. Thank you for commitment um, and service. Um, I know you're surprised to see me up here. That's what's up. I'm gonna bring the word of God today I've been blessed as have you through this deconstruction, um, series. It's been awesome Um, this is a one-off message, but I think it all applies, right? Because that deconstruction I think has blessed us all to really search what the truth really is and I think uh, That's what we're going to talk about today. We're coming from the book of joshua If you could uh, turn me to Joshua, just you can keep your seats. I'll go ahead and read for your hearing. It's just one verse. Uh, The verse is Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And it reads, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. If you would just be patient with me today, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about what God's blueprint is for success, God's blueprint for success. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you uh, just for another opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to, uh, just allowing us to give you praise, allowing us to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for a place we could come and we can come together, Lord. We don't don't count that uh, without understanding what the cost was for us to be here, Lord, the cost was you giving up your life for us, Lord. The cost was you uh, uh, leaving heaven, coming down here and being born of a woman you created, Lord. And again, like we said earlier today, dying on the hill you made. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for blessing us. And I pray, Lord, that all I say, all we do, would give you glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, in uh, 1964, February 1964, Cassius Clay... Later, he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. He was, he was preparing for the biggest fight of his life. He was a new professional, gold medal, won, gold medal winner in the Olympics. And he's fighting Sonny Liston. And Sonny Liston was like that era's version of Mike Tyson. If you remember Mike Tyson back in the day, sadly, we don't have a heavyweight with that kind of uh, uh, bravado now. But Sonny Liston was a bruiser. He was a bully. Yeah. And uh, this uh, this small uh, a virtually small heavyweight named Cassius K was coming along, a newcomer, and he had the audacity to brag that Sonny Liston was going to go down in eight because I'm great. Yeah. And if you've seen any video from Muhammad Ali, I didn't do it justice. He said, he's going to go down in eight because I'm great. Well, he actually came through with it. And in seven rounds, he had a technical knockout of Sonny Liston. And after the fight, he was bragging at his post-conference uh, or the post-fight press conferences, and then he had even more to say. He said, He said, and then I'm the greatest of greatest of all time. I'm the greatest of all time. The goat. The phrase goat was born at a time when black men were often demeaned or discriminated. Grown men being called boy, leaders like Mega Evers, murder for just trying to get black citizens the right to vote. Churches being bombed, little girls being killed. This black man had the nerve to say, I'm the greatest of all time and boldly say it. To consolidate and license intellectual property in 1992, his wife actually coined that phrase. She incorporated that phrase, and CNN Money reports that he got $50 million in uh, 2006 just to use his likeness and just to use that the the words that he used. When, um, Although it came about in 1964, you really didn't hear a lot about GOAT. I know we hear it now, but didn't hear a lot about GOAT until early 2000s when a uh, L.O. Cool J, I know some of you think he's just an actor, but he used to be a rapper. Yeah. He, uh, he came out with that GOAT album, and uh, when he was interviewed with Rolling Stone, he said, uh, there would be no, Mama Said Knock You Out, one of his biggest hits, and there would be no GOAT phrase if it wasn't coined for Muhammad Ali. It seems you can't go anywhere today, though, without seeing or hearing someone's opinion about a GOAT. Everyone claims to have personal insight and the secret to success. There are more books than you can count in bookstores and libraries. Every day, another podcast is formed, another YouTube channel, Instagram, TikTok, all these accounts to share their wisdom about being a success. We can find countless videos celebrating uh, legends like Kobe Bryant and his early morning workouts, right? Steve Jobs and uh, his his, uh, uh, founder, he was the founder of Apple and he had this unique management style. We got all these wealthy people that you probably never heard of. You don't even know if they really are millionaires, but they share their investment strategies online. We can see that, right? Everybody wants to be the greatest. In every sphere of endeavor, we have examples of success that, hold, that are held up for models for us to follow. In, in the world of sports, every day you're going to see it, right? Are you Team LeBron or, or Team Jordan? I think... Uh, Kareem gets left out a lot about that. I'm not going to fight that battle here, but he is still the scoring leader. But uh, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, right? Although Tom Brady's kind of dropping the mic on that with his recent resume. Uh, some people are holding on to Hank Aaron as a home run king. Some are Team Barry Bonds. There's less debate around athletes like Simone Bowles or Serena Williams, Tony Hawk, Usain Bolt, or Michael Phelps. The Hockey Hall of Famer Wayne Gretzky actually was nicknamed the great one. The culture is always looking and searching for the next great entrepreneur, next great entertainer, social media influencer, rapper, producer, singer, from the queen of soul to the king of pop and everywhere in between. The boss mentality is real and is centered on our desire to be successful. It seems we're relentlessly searching and studying how to become the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Well, the good news is the word of God has an answer for us. In the book of Joshua, we find a clear blueprint, God's blueprint, for how to become a goat. Let's begin by defining success. What does success mean? Well, a simple Webster's dictionary definition says, the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. The correct or desired result for an attempt. And uh, if we look at the actual passage of scripture that I read today, From Joshua 1.8, the Hebrew word used for success here means to have insight, wisdom, understanding, to prosper, potent capacity to understand, and so exercise skill in life caused by proper training and teaching enhanced by careful observation. Well, to quote the great King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the sum of the matter or the conclusion of the matter is this. I've formed a biblical definition of success for our purpose today, and it's the result. Success is the result of totally surrendering our speech, thoughts, and actions to the will of God. Amen. A biblical definition of success is the result of totally surrendering our speech, thought, and actions to the will of God. In other words, God's blueprint for success—the path to the greatest path to the greatness. The road to the correct or desired result, according to the word of God in Joshua, is in our mouth, it's in our mind, and it's in our mission. We must speak the word of God with our mouth, we must meditate on the word of God with our mind, and we have to obey the word of God in our mission. The conditional promise that God is making here means if we continually speak the word, if we continually meditate on the word, and we obey the word, we will succeed. Now, don't, don't get twisted. Don't nobody call back and tell Pastor E. Pastor Mark lost his mind. He's, he's on a whole nother tip today. This isn't about the promise to, uh, to give you your five year plan or your journal entries, your lifelong dream, your deepest desire, right? That's not what we're talking about when we talk about success here. The success we're talking about in this passage isn't a campaign promise to make your life easier or satisfy your material appetites, right? It's a promise to succeed by surrendering to the will of God. Amen. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, there's a selfish way we can, um, we can interpret that passage of scripture. Like if we delight ourselves in the Lord, if we, if we do this, it's transactional, right? He'll do this. He'll give me what I want. But I think if we look more con- at a more consistent interpretation, I know the ladies were, uh, uh, preparing for salt i know in our household since i'm surrounded by ladies now my son has abandoned me but uh as they were preparing for salt this week i heard them going through catechisms like wow so i'll start it and see if the ladies can finish it but the chief purpose of man is to god. right amen there we go all right and uh brothers you can get in this joshua this week too so i'm not letting humanity off the hook but um the chief purpose of man is to glorify god not to satisfy our desires I think a better interpretation of that scripture, or I know a better interpretation of that scripture that falls more in line is more like if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us desire. In the same way, a commander gives a soldier his, his, his marching orders so he can complete the mission that will accomplish the objective for the army, right? That's where we're going to get it. He's going to shape us. Where do I get that from? Well, I get that from the fact that Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The branch can't give fruit by itself. He's the vine, we are the branches. And then he tied it up by saying the Father prunes so that you can bear much fruit. Yeah. Jesus also said, not my will but yours be done. If Jesus can submit himself at the, at the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes in and makes his ultimate sacrifice, then what's, what choice do we have but to submit to God's will? Yeah. So if God has given us this beautiful blueprint for success, then how do we walk it out? How do we build it? Yeah. Well, let's look to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a sixth book in Scripture. It describes how Moses' successor, Joshua, conquered Canaan. The author of the book isn't actually named, but and we actually uh, there's there's some that uh, suppose that maybe Joshua wrote a good portion of it. But based on we look at chapter 24 and I think 12 through 15, there's some indication that the author of Joshua lived sometime between the time of the Judges, the book that follows Joshua, and before David was king. This. This uh, comes about at the time right after Moses had died, Joshua was taken over, Uh, the people of Israel had come out of slavery in Egypt, they had entered into a covenant with God, and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness for their disobedience. Now they're on the verge of taking the land that the Lord had promised Abraham back in Genesis 15. Now these are the children of a generation that failed God. If you go back to Numbers 14, you can see that it was time to take the land actually back then, And when Moses sent some spies out, he sent 12 spies out to spy the land, and they came back, and 10 of them had no courage. They had no belief. They had no faith. They said, these people see us as grasshoppers. Not that they were grasshoppers, but they see us as grasshoppers. They didn't see God's plan to take this land. They didn't see his ability to take the land. But two, relented. There was was, uh, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, no, God has given us the land. He can give it. He can give it to us now. Let's do it. Not only did the others disagree, but the Bible says the whole congregation was going to stone them. So you can imagine how the Lord Lord, uh, reacted to that. He was so enraged. He was so enraged at their disbelief, at their disrespect, at their lack of faith, that he was going to wipe out the whole clan. He said, Moses, I'll start over with you. It's over. I'm done with them. And Moses actually interceded for them. He said, "Lord, the word's gonna get out back to Egypt, right? Like you can't just leave us out here like this." He's like, "Just you gotta have." It. So, Lord's like, "All right, cool." And then he does like I like I don't know if anybody likes uh, like gangster movies. I like The Godfather. You know, um, uh, the uh, uh, I think another uh, one, The Goodfellas, was on uh, recently. The the mob mentality. Well, well, uh, the Lord spoke with with such authority here. He'd be better than any mob boss. He says in Numbers 14, your bodies will fall in this wilderness and your children will suffer for your faithlessness for 40 years, one year for every day you spy the land. Now, that's that's real right there. Right. That's real. Not only that, he said anybody over the age of 20 without faith is out. And I'm going to walk you all around until that generation falls before you're able to come into the land. So that's who we're talking about here. The people that are, that are speaking in this Joshua chapter one is a generation that came after their fathers had failed. They came out, they walked around the desert, they wandered around uh, being taken care of, being loved by God, but they also walked around carrying the weight of their father's failure. And now they're at the cusp of taking the land again 40 years later, can you imagine their apprehension, right? They're like, oh, this is the challenge that our fathers failed, we gotta succeed. That's why there's so much talk in this first chapter of Joshua about strength and courage. Have you ever been the first in your generation to attempt something difficult? Maybe you're the first in your family to attend college, and you're wondering, can I make it? Will I succeed? You're getting married, or you just got married, but you come from a legacy of divorce and abuse. Is this marriage going to work? Is God's word true? You're a new parent or you're anticipating giving birth, and you have no earthly model of a godly father or mother. What kind of father will I be? Can I be a godly father? Can I be a godly mother? You're beginning your career or a business, but your family has a history of bankruptcy and aborted plans, unfulfilled dreams. Can this plan work? Will I be a success? You have enthusiastically accepted Christ. We just had the right hand of fellowship today. You're coming into a new place. You're coming off of the reconstruction series, right? Deconstruction series, church hurt, right? You're coming from that place. Is this going to be that place again? Am I going to be hurt again? Will I have success? Will I be able to serve the Lord like I desire to? Maybe you have a loved one that just got a diagnosis, or you just got a diagnosis. You're facing a devastating loss, and there's uncharted territory ahead. And you're wondering, will I ever be successful again? But maybe it's your own sin haunting you. Right? Maybe you participated in in some form of an abortion. And you're like, will the Lord ever bless me with a child again? The message in this text is to have faith. Success is not dependent on human potential or past or present circumstances. It's dependent on God's promises. Joshua's generation, they find themselves in that same place, in that same crossroad. Will they be successful? Will they be able to reverse God's judgment? Well, God comes at them strong, right? In, in, in chapter one, in verses six, seven, and nine, he repeats over and over again how they have to be strong and courageous. Very strong and courageous. Have not commanded you be strong and courageous. Nestled in between there, though, we get this instruction about obedience. That's where we get this blueprint for success. The first step is speaking the word continually. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. We have to put in context the audience we're talking about here, the customs at the time. This is a time around 1300 B.C. when uh, many people weren't literate themselves, and they obviously didn't have books like we have today or the media we have today. Uh, primary, the primary way of communicating these truths would be orally. So some kings would have it written out, but for the most part, it'd be read publicly, and, and we have examples of that even in the book of Joshua, in Joshua, 1, in Joshua 8. 3435 he says it says afterward Joshua read aloud all the words of the law the blessings as well as the curses according to all that is written in the book there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel including the women the dependents the resident aliens who lived among them there was a pattern of reading the word In Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 9, we hear these words that I am giving you today are not to be in your heart. Repeat them to their children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk and go along the road. And then we got Jesus, right, our ultimate example. We see him in Luke chapter 4. He came to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, and it says, as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and unrolling the scroll he found a place where it was written there's power in the spoke, spoken word. Yeah. Let's look back at Ali again, right? We see all of the uh, the video of him making those profound statements and sting like a butterfly, float like a bee and or what is it? Float like a whatever. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Butterflies those things, right? But um he had, a, he had a great team around him, right? He had Angelo Dundee was his trainer. He was a great trainer, actually trained some uh, championship fighters. One of his sparring partners was, was Larry Holmes, who became a champion himself. But lesser known member of that team was this guy named Bundini Brown, Drew Bundini Brown. Anybody know Bundini Brown? That's what I'm talking about. If you watch Will Smith's adaptation, Jamie Foxx played this character, right? You see, Bundini was technically on the books. He was an assistant trainer, but really, he was a hype man. right? He was a guy that actually wrote some of those poems that Muhammad Ali did. And you'd be hard-pressed to see any video of Muhammad Ali uh, training where you wouldn't hear Bandini in the background. This video of him riding in a car with him. He's just repeating, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. That, that begs the question, who, who's our Bandini Brown? Right? Yeah. Who, who are we listening to? Who's in our ear? Right? What are they telling us? Are they hyping us up? with you are the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest? Are they hyping us up inspired by the Holy Spirit? Tell us to, to submit ourselves to God, yes. to do what God says do, right? Are they challenging us? When we get tired, do we have somebody continuing to press with the word? Yes. Or are we a abandoning brown for somebody else? Yes. Do you got a word when somebody else comes to you? It's important for us to also speak the word because it has to be heard, right? Yes. We encourage each other in community, You can't get clean water from a dirty hose. I heard that a long time ago, I was like, that's pretty good. So if you don't have somebody speaking truth to you, how do you expect to be clean? How do you expect to be able to follow God's commands or receive his blessings if you don't repeat it and you don't have it repeated around you? The Holy Ghost must inspire every word we speak. The Bible in Matthew says, I tell you that on the day of judgment people will have to account for every careless word they speak. We can't take for granted anything we say. So how do we get there? Well, one of the things we do is we have to speak the word. We have to read the word out loud in our homes, not just at church. The only place you hear the word spoken can't be here. Even in your quiet time, hear yourself read the word of God. We need, to, we need to speak the word of God in our counsel. When somebody calls you with a problem and they need help, are you giving them the reservoir, the shallow reservoir you have to give? Or are you going to the word of God to speak the word of God to them? We have to we have to, to hear the word of God in our media. Right. There's so much so many times I, I'm, I'm there. I'll, I'll binge watch with the best of them. But are we binge watching the word of God or what somebody says is the word of God? It's important for us to speak the word. It's important for us to hear the word. But it's also important for us to meditate on it. Uh, meditating on it day and night. Is, is a process similar to, well actually first, the Hebrew word for meditate in this case is to utter a sound, to moan, to meditate. The act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself. Meditation takes time and commitment. The scripture here uh, uh, calls for us to meditate day and night. I think of the example of the cow, right? When cows are in the field and they eat, they typically will chew real quick and then they, they swallow it down. But they can spend 40, 50% of the rest of the day actually regurgitating the food and chewing on it and eating it in a process called rumination. And they can actually, it, it may take them three to four days to fully digest the food. That's meditation. Meditation takes time. It takes attention. We have to stay in the word. It's not a speed read the text. It's not, humbl- it's, it's not checking off a devotional task for the day. It's humbly waiting on God to speak. You got to think about meditation like we're filling up the reservoir, right? So that when the challenges do come, it's like you may not be getting your, your, uh, your deliverance. You may not be getting the desired result. You may not be getting the success because you haven't filled your reservoir. How happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction And he meditates on it day and night. Psalm 1 and 2. Meditate. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Meditating on scripture gives us clarity in decision making. It lifts our mood. It multiplies the fruits of the spirit in our lives. Meditating on the word is what strengthens our foundation, but it takes time. I can remember uh, when I was a young young pilot in the Air Force, we would one of my favorite uh, missions to fly was we called it a grocery run. We'd spend like a week in the Caribbean and we'd pick up pick up groceries or supplies of some base on the East Coast, and we'd go down and and just deliver them all the way down. I didn't see Pastor. Uh, Pass a guess here, but from all the way from Puerto Rico to Trinidad, we just, every day, we fly low over the islands, the weather is always nice. I really enjoyed it. On one such day, we just pick up our supplies in Florida, we head out and crack in the windshield, right in front of me. And it gets bigger and bigger. We got, well, we gotta land somewhere and get it fixed. We stop in somewhere to get it fixed, and I'm, I'm of the mindset, being young in the game, I'm like, Let's pop that windshield up, pop one in, let's go. We got a week in Puerto Rico we're looking forward to. And I was, you can imagine my heartbreak when the technician comes to me and says, based on the time it gets to part and the curing, it's gonna be 24 hours before we can go. I'm gonna lose a good two days this week cause the windshield broke. Well, Why is that? What is this curing thing he's talking about? Curing is a process during which a chemical reaction such as a polarization or a physical action, such as evaporation takes place, resulting in a tougher, more stable linkage. Our meditation is what allows the word of God to cure in our spirit, not be rushed. It's important for us to meditate the same way it was important for that windshield to clear because if you know that the, the, uh, the signs behind an airplane, it's like it's really a tube that's sealed up and it's forced pressure with air. And if that window hadn't cured it, it would have popped right out. Right in front of my face, right? It's, it's important for us to do that. So what do we do when the pressures of life encounter us? Have we meditated? Meditation is deep contemplation that leads us to obedience. Meditation draws our heart to God. It shapes our thoughts. It controls our tongue. We can't control it. Are you meditating on scripture? You can't break that bad habit. Or are you meditating on scripture? Meditation is a tool that adds in the process of sanctification by curing the word of God in our hearts. Meditation deepens the reservoir. We meditate, we equip ourselves for the battle. So we need to meditate daily. Search the scriptures for answers before consulting your crew or social media. Ruminate on God's word. Yes. Chew it and rechew it till you get all the nutrients out. So as we walk it through this passage, we see we need to speak the word, right? We need to meditate on the word. But now we get down to the, to the, to the action of it, right? We need to actually obey the word. Remember, it's a conditional promise, right? We have to be careful to do all that's in the word. Being obedient is about being a truth teller. We have to be honest about our propensity for sin. We have to realize obedience is work because we're fighting against our own flesh. Obedience is a high regard for God's word. 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. The scripture says we must be careful to do all that's in it. Obedience takes careful attention and wisdom. You know, when diplomats or or military members serve in foreign countries, they have to be educated in local customs and courtesies to avoid offending their hosts. They have to learn how to sit, how to eat, right? How to gesture hello and goodbye. The things to do to to be polite and that makes them effective ambassadors, what well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That takes careful attention, right? That's not what our flesh desires. We have to be careful to do those things that the, that the word requires of us. We have to be careful to love God with all our heart, all our mind, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourself. We have to be careful to do that. We have to be careful because it's not our nature to forgive our enemies or love those that spitefully use us. It's not in our nature. We have to be careful to die to ourselves, to be content in whatever state we're in. We have to be careful to trust God to avenge us because the word says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We have to be careful to be a cheerful and sacrificial giver. That takes careful effort to mourn with hope of the resurrection. That takes careful effort to endure trials as a good soldier, counting it all joy as the Lord works perfection in us. Obedience is so hard because, and and God knows it's hard, so he gives us what we need. That Psalms one nineteen or one nineteen nine, it says, "How can a young man keep his way pure, yes. by keeping your word? Yes. I have sought you with my heart, all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands." Yes. Yes. God knows we can't even muster the strength to do what we need. So He says, "Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength." In Philippians four, He says, "I am able to do all things yes. through Christ who strengthens me." You know, I um. I, had a, I recently had a, a, a broken filling in, in my tooth, and I uh, went in to get it repaired, and the dentist uh, was actually to redo the filling and put it in, but she said, hey, we, we got pretty close to the nerve, so if you feel anything in the next five days or so, just give us a call back. And sure enough, next two, three days, I was feeling something. So I go back to the dentist, and sure enough, I gotta get that root canal Um, I'm sensitive to everything before the root canal. But when I talked to the oral surgeon, he said, well, the root canal, the long and short of it is they're going to gut the tooth, take that nerve out. So I don't have the sensitivity anymore. And it worked. It's great. I can I can drink the hot and the cold right now. It's amazing. But that's what sin does. Sin removes our sensitivity to God's word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to get a root canal in our in our spirit we no longer hold God in high regard then we operate as our own god you know philippians says their end is destruction their god is their stomach their glory is in their shame and their focus on earthly things that's why when we speak the word we meditate on the word when we're careful to obey the word we can be we can be, we we actually will have success so we need to speak the word we need to meditate on the word and we have to carefully obey the word. We have to always stay sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We have to stay sensitive to the truth. Be careful to do all that's in the word. Don't allow yourself to be calloused. Don't allow sin to take out the nerve that will convict you when God is trying to use you, when he's trying to grow you. So we get to a place now where we're kind of we're following that blueprint. We're, we're, we're doing what the Lord said, do right? We're, we're speaking the word, not just, not just in our hearing or not just for us speaking, but also in our hearing. We, we actually are meditating on the word, we got time, we begin to see some deliverance. We're, we're careful to be obedient to the word, but we still fail, we still sin. Sometimes, sometimes we miss, sometimes we lose concentration, sometimes we say a flippant word, sometimes we don't act out what we intend to act out. Our God is so good that not only Does he give us clear instruction? He's demonstrated us what it takes to be great. You see, no matter how much effort we give, he knows we're going to fall short. He knows we don't have what it takes to do it. That's why he's there for us. We have slips of the tongues. He knows we're going to lose concentration. He knows we're going to disobey. But God is faithful. His word says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But he also loved us so much, he didn't leave us in that cycle. right? He didn't leave us in a cycle of, 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 of failing and having to be restored. He actually gave us a plan that would restore us forever. He interceded personally for us. Ephesians 2 says, he, because of his great love for us, he made us alive in Christ. In him, we who were far away have been drawn near. God loved us so much that he knew we couldn't live up to his standard. So he, he, he brought himself down to give us what we need. He became the better. Jesus became the better Adam. Our Christ is the better man. Our Christ is the perfect priest. Our Christ is the example. I guess what am I saying? He the goat. That's what I'm talking about. So who's the goat? So this can end the conversations, right? In the barbershops and and on, on Sports Center and all these debate shows all the time. Who's the goat? Who you pick, who you got? Jesus Christ is the goat. Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. But but there's some irony in that, right? Because he didn't even get to be the goat like like we expect the goats, right? How do we define goat? The guy with the most rings, the guy with the scoring title, the guy with the most money and cars. That's the goat, right? Nah, he didn't he didn't come down like that. The 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 way our guy became the goat is he became a lamb. Mm. See I i love just thinking about even a story of man we how we mess it up so much thinking that that god is i mean god in his riches right in his glory it's amazing but what did he do when he came here he came down to the ghetto right like and not only did he come to the ghetto he was homeless in the ghetto So that's the guy we're talking about. So it's not a requirement to have means. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your family history is, going back even to the beginning. If you're questioning your success, if you're questioning whether you can make it, God is showing you, hey, I came down to the lowest of the low. I was born in a place and didn't even have a bed. Right. I operated in life and ministry with no place. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. Not only that. But he submitted himself even to those who should have recognized him and didn't. Like, what kind of God does it take not to just strike some fool who should be able to see who you are? Because they know your word, right? They've studied it, but they've they, they, they worshipped themselves so much they can't see your existence in flesh. Our God became the lamb for us. He became a high priest for us. Christ was tempted like, tempted like us, but he had no sin. So he knows what we go through. Christ is a goat because he became the lamb, and that lamb gave up his blood so that we could have eternal life. That lamb took all of our sin on himself. That lamb believed, that lamb lamb gave us something to believe in. That lamb gave us something to trust. We can change our definition of success because of the real goat, the real greatest of all times. And now we can stop trying to be the goat, right? We don't, have to, we don't have to be the goat. We don't have to worry about who that is. We can just worship the goat. We can just try to look like the goat. That's what discipleship is, right? So what did he do? That's what we do. That's what a goat is. The greatest of all time is uh, absolutely Jesus. If I was in the old church now, I'd go through that run. Y'all heard it. He came through 42 generations, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can't, I always tell him I can't hoop. Hooping is singing, I can't sing. But but if I was gonna hoop, I would say he came down through 42 generations. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in a barn and placed in a manger. He had no place, come on now, no place to lay his head. He was beaten, he was stripped, he was humiliated, he was betrayed and abandoned. And then he was hung on a tree. Watch this. For you and for me. That's who the goat is. That's who the greatest of all time is. That's our Lord and Savior. So when you're trying to find out who the goat is, it's obvious. It's all in the book. It's all in the book. So it's important for us to speak the word of God. It's important for us to meditate on the word of God. And it's important for us to be careful to do all that's in it. So I'm talking about even God even broke the organ out today uh, um, and, and I think that's special I'm not, I'm not playing with that because that's not funny but uh, I just it, it lifts my spirit to think about how much God came how much he condescended for me and, and you may be in the place I don't want to take it for granted we don't ever want to take it for granted that there's somebody in this place or watching us on the, uh, on the live feed who, who doesn't know Jesus in the part is their sin you don't know the goat for yourself the beauty of this goat is, I may never know the arguable goats. I'm ne- I may never meet Tom Brady or never meet Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all those people. I can't touch them, but Jesus is somebody that made himself available to me, right? The Bible says, all I gotta do, Paul said, all you gotta do is believe, right, that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess, right? Confess in him, believe that he died, he was raised from the dead, and you shall be saved. The Bible says, he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So you may be out there today wondering, what do I need to do? That's all you got to do. You got to confess and believe. If there's anyone in the house tonight that, or today that, uh, that wants to uh, find out what it means, you want to meet that goat, you just raise your hand now. Please, we'll have somebody come talk to you. We'll have a link online you can uh, connect with. We'd love to hear from you, to talk to you to show you what it means, to connect with the real greatest of all time, to show you what true success means, following the will of God. Is there one? If not, one of the things that we'll transition now into uh, worship through the uh, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, Uh, on the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he sat with his disciples He broke out a last meal with them as another example of his, of his desire to, uh, to condescend himself for us. He broke out the bread and the wine. As you stand, please. As he sat with his disciples, he said he took out the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, This bread is my body, which will be broken for you as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And then our Lord Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood the blood that was shared to save us from the penalty of sin. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we just thank you today for, for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for even giving us a means of remembering, a means of commemorating. Like the special gift that you gave us lord we just thank you there's so much that we have to thank you for the breath in our bodies lord just the ability to speak your word the ability to meditate on your word and then the ability to carefully obey your word lord we just thank you we pray lord you would just uh continue to walk with us allow this word not to fall on rough soil lord not to be choked out by the weeds but to fall on rich soil and bear much fruit for you we thank you, Lord, for all that you continue to do and have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. If you received the benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make a face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.